My name is John, uh, and I help serve at Shepherd's class. My name is Christine, and this is our daughter, Luna. And yeah, we, we both help at Shepherd's class. Uh, our scripture reading today is selected from 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace of God has given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to the completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in speech, oops, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love we have kindled in you, so that you also excel in this grace of giving, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of the, for the grace of our Lord Jesus Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much, John and Christine and Luna. You're a great addition uh, here. It's wonderful. Uh, to the shepherds class, I just want to say I love you and, and thank God for you and have always experienced your love back. And it's, you have really served us amazingly this morning. I'm just very, very thankful for it. And I'm also glad we got the offering in. That was, <laughs> and, and you'll hear why today for sure because that's what I'm, I'm talking to you about what I'm calling love-compelled giving today, love-compelled giving, because giving is at the center of the heart and ways of God himself. I mean, just think about it. God gave us life in the first place. Uh, and then when people walked away from him, God gave us a way to be saved and to be rescued. He did it because he gave us his one and only son, and Jesus who came gave his life for us and he gives us his Holy Spirit and he gives us his church and he gives us peace that passes understanding at the heart of the ways and character of God is giving. And the thing that the Bible says motivates God to give is his love for us. Love is what compels us. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus so loved us that even while you and I were sinners, he, he was willing to die for us. And because of that, if you agree with me there, because giving is so much at the heart of the, of the ways and the character of God, the more you and I become like him, the more that giving will also be at what characterizes our lives and, and, and like it is with God. 
the thing that's going to motivate, you know, God-glorifying giving is going to be love. It will be giving compelled by love. Are you with me here so far? Now, I, I think that I've understood this in a way ever since I was a child. My dad became a believer when I was about six years old, and when he became a believer, uh, it changed his life, and he loved to give. Back in West Virginia, he would look forward every Sunday to giving his tithe, and then even beyond that, whenever missionaries were home or people in the neighborhood had need, my, my dad uh, loved to give. And I'll just tell you, he was not a wealthy man. It's just that after he'd met Jesus, he just, he just loved to give. So I saw it. I saw it in my father. But I don't think that it really came home to me until 1976, when after I'd graduated from Wheaton College, uh, I spent some time in uh, doing missions work, and I was in India doing concerts. You know, I used to sing and, and doing messages that, that were there. And one particular week, we were in the city of Mysore. It's down in the uh, south part of India, a beautiful city. I, I found a picture of it here, but it's more beautiful than this picture is. In one of the evening meetings that we had, there was a pastor for a more rural area, outside of Mysore who came into the meetings and brought some of his people. And after the meetings were over, they came up to me and asked me if on the next Sunday I would go to their church uh, outside of Mysore city and both sing and preach. And I said, yes. So on a Sunday morning, uh, the pastor came and picked me up. And as we were driving there, he was telling me about his church. And he said, you, you need to know, uh, we're a very poor church. He, I remember him telling me that he thought that at least 70% of his people uh, didn't even have enough to eat. And so I didn't know what to expect when I would drive up to the church. It certainly wasn't what I experienced. I'm they were out there. They were waving palm branches and had signs to welcome Greg Waybright to the church. They were singing songs. They were bringing me. They brought me these generous gifts, many of them, that they had uh, made for me that day. And at the end of the meeting, we had this incredible feast out on the lawn. I was just blown away by this. So as the pastor and I traveled back to Mysore afterwards, I told him how overwhelmed I was by his people's joy and generosity in spite of their poverty. And I remember saying to him, look at these gifts. Shouldn't I send these gifts back with you to them? And immediately he said, absolutely not. And he began telling me the story. He said, American missionaries gave everything. They left their homes behind, their families, to bring to us the gospel of Jesus. We really have come to believe that giving is what every follower of Jesus wants to do, whether we're rich or poor. And then he said to me, I didn't ask them to do what they did when they welcomed you here. Didn't you see the joy as they welcomed you and gave to you? And I had to admit that I did. So this last week, as I was reading this text that uh, John and Christine read for you, I just thought back to that day. I wept that afternoon as I thought about it. And, and why? Because what I saw in that church that day was exactly what Paul writes about with these Macedonian churches back in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, a church that certainly didn't have as much as many of us have here at Lake Avenue Church and yet just loved had such joy in their giving. And so in our passage today, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I hope you have your Bibles open or your phone open to that passage. He spoke of a church back in his day who in the midst of their 
deep trials, that was through the afflictions that they were going with, and extreme poverty, with great joy gave with what he calls rich generosity to others. And as I thought about it, I thought, I think we have a lot to learn. Anybody agree with me there? Maybe you're afraid that the pastor's going to take another offering at the end of the service, so you're not saying yes. But let's take a few moments just to consider what happened back then. So I want to begin by thinking about these two different sets of churches. There was this church in Corinth, which was an urban area much more like ours, and it was almost certainly a wealthy church, and these churches in Macedonia. And, and what, it, what Paul really talks to us about here is love-compelled financial giving. Now, what was the situation at the time? The thing that evoked this whole section, chapters uh, 8 and 9, was that there had been a major famine that had hit the city of Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem was that mother of all churches. The, mother, the beginning of it all was back in Jerusalem. And they were devastated. The people in the church in Jerusalem were devastated by the famine that hit. And then history records that also a whole series of earthquakes had also hit Jerusalem at the time. This was such a big problem for that church that you read about it in the book of Romans, you read about it in Galatians, you read about it in the book of Acts, you read about it in 1 Corinthians and certainly here in 2 Corinthians 2. When you read the histories, the Christian and the Jewish histories tell about this terrible famine that hit Jerusalem, and not only they, but the, the, the Roman and, and Greek historians do as well. So, church people, as the churches had been planted by this time uh, in many places around the world, they were summoned to come together and to try to support their hurting brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Now, when you think about it, their example of churches, you know, this kind of unity of churches, uh, global church around that when one church is hurting in some part of the world we all hurt, that really is a big part of why we are here at Lake Avenue so often when there are natural disasters hit as hit not so long ago in North Texas or down in Puerto Rico or in so many places. Texts like this are what motivate me and motivate us to say, let's, let's do a special offering and, and to reach out and sometimes send teams of people to do that. It's all based in what we say there. And the Apostle Paul was deeply committed to this Jerusalem relief ministry. So he would go usually to the larger cities and to the bigger churches where they had more and ask them to give. And and he had done this in Corinth and they had started really well. But then there were these other churches up in Macedonia that he didn't go to and asked to give. But somehow they heard about this relief mission. I'll just show you how this all plays out, a a map here so you can see where this is. See Corinth down there in the middle? That's uh, where it is. And, the, and, and Paul was involved in planting churches all along the way. And the churches up in Macedonia were these very, very poor churches. And when they heard about their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem hurting and other churches giving to them, Paul says, they came to me and begged me for the opportunity to give this to this mission as well. And my, oh, my, did they ever give Did you notice verses 2 and 3? I'll just show it to you again. Paul says, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, he said, that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Now, as I look at this, because Paul was writing to the wealthiest church in Corinth, it's clear, do you see it, that he uses 
these poor churches and the joy they had in giving to be an example to and a motivation to the Corinthian church <laughs> to give as well. And it makes us think, should, should we do such a thing, give the example of other people's giving to motivate us? Sometimes, you know, we urge you to give anonymously because sometimes when we give, and especially if you're able to give significantly, you can give and it will be glory to you rather than glory to God. And I love the song, Shepherd's Class, that you sing, whatever you do in your giving too, do it to the glory of God, not to the glory of yourself. But I'm telling you, this text shows me that sometimes it's good to let others know about our giving. Why? Because our financial giving is a big part of our witness to the world. Now, let's face it here in Southern California that we have a lot of gods in this place. <laughs> and one of the biggest gods in Southern California is money and, 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 and wealth and, 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 and success. And I'll tell you, when we give uh, significantly and generously and joyously to the Lord, what we do is we show this world that we value eternal things and the thing of God far more then we value temporary things. I mean, how did Jesus put it? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is too. <laughs> so it really is a demonstration to the world about whether God is at the center of your heart when you give to his work. But the other thing, and it's similar to it, about why I think he uses a church like the Macedonian church, says learn from their giving how you might be able to give, is that we believers learn as we really watch other Jesus followers give. That's why we have this whole flow of this passage is this. Chapter 8, verse 1, brothers and sisters, he's saying to the Corinthians churches, we want you to know about the grace that God has given. He sees giving as a grace, just a, an opportunity, a privilege. The grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And all of that leads to this. So having looked at them, now you see to it that you excel in this grace of giving too. Um, so he's using one as a motivation for the other. I mean, because how will new believers know what financial giving looks like unless those of us who've walked with the Lord for a while and have learned to be good stewards show them by, by giving? How will future generations ever know? How will your children and grandchildren ever know how, how they might tithe and give and find joy in their giving unless you do the very same thing? And, and this is the way it's happened. This, this whole matter of us being people who give as God has given to us has been passed down from believer to believer, watching how believers live and how that affects our giving, and, and from generation to generation. And, and I pray that will happen here too. In fact. I've even become more and more convinced that when uh, you get to the age where I am and you, you make a will, and you should do that much younger than I am, just to let you know, but when you make a will, you should think about your will as an opportunity to show to your family the same kind of giving, what's important in your life. And that's why I think you shouldn't forget your church in that as well, because this this kind of giving that we see in these Macedonian churches is what I'm calling love-compelled giving. Now, do you remember when I started this whole series of messages that I'm saying our lives, every part of our lives are to be compelled by experiencing the love of God? I started in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and then we've gone back to see how experiencing the love of Christ should change our lives. 
And I'm just saying that one of the ways it should change our lives is, is through the way we engage in the giving of our finances. Because back then, uh, Paul's way of life after he'd met Jesus just baffled the, the Christians in Corinth. Uh, and they, they even said, Paul, we think you're out of your mind. Why on earth would you leave the wealth and prestige that you used to have to go into this place where you're traveling around telling about Jesus, and every time you go into a city, you get imprisoned or beaten? And do you remember what he said? And why on earth would you leave your family behind to come and bring the good news of Jesus to people you used to hate like Gentiles? And he said, here's why because I've experienced the love of Christ that's not for me alone, it is for all. And he says all of our lives, every part of our lives should be compelled or changed by experiencing the love of Jesus. And one part of what should be changed is our financial giving. So I'm telling you, just like I experienced there in outside of Mysore, whether we're rich or poor, whether all that we can bring is what happened with Jesus, remember the widow's might? Sometimes those who have the least and yet bring sacrificially really bring the most in many, many, many ways. It's, uh, it's a grace to us. So in the time that we have today, having seen that, what happened with the Macedonian church as an example to the Corinthian church, I just sort of pulled back, said, Lord, what lessons would you have a church like this one to learn? I, I think we're probably for the most part more like the Corinthian church what, what did this Macedonian say to us? And I just jotted down a couple of things. I want you to consider them prayerfully. First thing I want you to think about is that love-compelled giving, love-compelled giving starts with fresh commitments to the Lord. I love that first part of verse 5. Okay, in their giving, what did they do? They gave themselves first to the Lord. Here's where sometimes we've gotten in trouble in evangelical kinds of churches. We've often sort of communicated that walking with Jesus, act of faith, is we have a one-time act. I did it back when I was five years old. I prayed the prayer, and that is, that's the only specific acts of, of faith, of pouring myself out before God. And, and I'll tell you, that's where it starts, isn't it? We can't grow until we've been born, until we've been born again. And so when you hear the good news of Jesus, there is this act in which we pour all that we are out before God. We say, here are my sins. You want me anyway. And he says, I do. I love you. Here are my sins. Will you forgive me? He takes them, and he casts them as far as east is from the west. Have you experienced that? It's a hallelujah time every time we think about it, that our God declares us right with him in spite of the fact that we were sinners. Here is my life. I place my faith in Jesus. He is the Savior of my life. That's how it begins. But I'll tell you, that first act of faith leads to a life of faith, for me, I find that we've got to just wake up in the morning and do sort of like I, what I see Paul doing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, saying, now that I know you had to die for me, I'm not going to live for myself any longer, but for the one who died for Jesus. Lord, here is my life. I pour myself out before you today. And, and when it comes to our giving, I think the same kinds of things happen. We say, Lord, all that I am, all that I have, you made it, you gave it to me, you've just, I'm a steward, that's all. 
Even if you say, well, I work for that myself, the very life and ability and mind strength that you have to work is a gift from God. It's a grace, right? You didn't give it to yourself, so we start that way. We say that all that I am and I have, Lord, I pour it out to you again. And when it comes to financial giving, Lord, as I determine how to give today, I'm going to remember that you gave everything to me. Jesus gave his life for me. And then I think if we'll start that way, like the Macedonians did, first they gave themselves to the Lord, that it's just going to transform the way that we give and, and whether we give it grudgingly or joyful, joyfully. First thing I jotted down, uh, I think love-compelled giving uh, always begins with that fresh commitment of our lives to the one who gave his life for us. Second principle I wrote down. You have to, this is going to be countercultural for us as Americans. I'm just, but I, I can't get away from the fact that this second point the Bible teaches. So here we go. Love compelled giving is more often a we than it is an I. Right. You know what I'm talking about there? Here's what I see. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, but then by the will of God also to us to us. Paul is the founder of this church, to the direction that the church and actually the global churches were identifying is what was really important. And, and, and the question is, why did the Macedonians give through their local church and through its founding pastor instead of just directly over there to the Jerusalem church? See, I'm getting close to meddling here just a little bit. You might say that the reason why they did it, giving through their church to the issues that the church together had decided, this needs to happen, this is what God would have us to do. You might say, well, it was just a matter of practicality and expediency, because Paul and his colleague Titus, who's mentioned here, well, they're the ones who would be going back to Jerusalem, so it would be easier for them to take the money back with them, and, and that's true. But I'll tell you, when you see the larger teaching of the Bible, and you see what happened here and the way that he talks about it, there's more to it than just expediency that's going on here. You know, what you see here is a church as a whole that has had it put upon their hearts that this is something, even in the midst of our own poverty and what's happening in our own church, this is something God would have us to do and to do it together. Because you've got to see that back in those days there were countless needs in their world to which people could give just like they are now. But each local church under its spiritual leadership, like the Apostle Paul, who was the pastor who founded this church, sought the Lord together and then gave to it generously. All of this is rooted in Old Testament teaching. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, what God says, he says, when you come together, bring together the first fruits of your tithes. Sometimes the versions are translated uh, all the tithes. Well, because they had more than just one tithe back in the Old Testament. But I think the word kal in Hebrew really means the first part, the, the primary part. When you think about your giving, first of all, the place where you should focus that giving is to that place that there he called the storehouse, which was the place of their own local gathering for, for worship uh, together with the Lord and for, for service. And this is what the Macedonians did as well. 
And that was the example of the local church for century after century. They, they came together to say, Lord, we, we know what's happening over there. We hurt financially, so we really know what the Jerusalem church is feeling. And they sensed that the Spirit of God would have them as a church really give to this. And so that's what they did. The point is that when you enter into a relationship with God as your father, there is an individual and personal relationship with God as your father. But I'll tell you, you also become a part of a global church family. You have a lot of brothers and sisters. Here we are, whether you like us or not. And not only that, he brings us into a local church, plants us here within the community and tells us to do life together. We're one of those local churches specifically planted by God here in this magnificent corner of Lake Avenue and the 210, here in Pasadena. And what we are to do is to seek God together, beginning with our spiritual leadership, your pastors, ministry councils, to say, Lord, what are the most important things that we should be doing in this place? And they call us to support that and give to it. I think when we think about Christian giving, it should begin with that we-ness, uh, with our local church. There still is a place for times for God just to work in our hearts. A, a person in need crosses our path, and we just sense, I've got, I can't just let him do that. He doesn't have enough to eat, where we extend ourselves in that way or give to a particular mission that God puts on our heart that is outside of what the church is focused on. But I, what I think the Bible is teaching is that that first place that we should focus our giving should be upon that local church that he has brought you into. So I think I've written this down for you. Our lives are compelled largely by an experience of the love of Christ within our local church community. That, that like Tom gave testimony to. That, that's where the main idea of our growth in Christ should happen. And our world is going to be changed largely, not entirely, but largely through the love of Christ flowing through Christian communities planted in local neighborhoods. That's what Jesus was saying. Have people see that you love one another in this world where we otherwise wouldn't experience that, and then they'll know that you are his followers. So I, I don't know if you were here last Tuesday when we had our congregational meeting, but as I gave my report about where we're headed as a church, I put some of the priorities that uh, we have really put, you know, at the very forefront of where our church is headed, what kind of things that we're going to focus on the discipleship of those that God brings into the life of this church family. And that discipleship, we're praying that each one of us will become more and more complete in Christ so that eventually we'll all be presented as blameless before the, this is all very biblical in case you wonder. So we invest in, in our worship services together as we gather. We, 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 we seek to nurture and foster smaller group communities like your adult classes or small groups that you're a part of so that together you're able to learn and to grow. And we try to facilitate a place for us all to serve. All of that is a part of what we focus on and what we build because we don't think we can grow as disciples of Jesus if we don't serve together here in the life of his church. So that's one of the things we really focus on here. In our outreach, because we think we need to not only just be insulated, but in our community outreach, we focus on, and I've jotted these down, the four main priorities with all the needs we have in the San Gabriel Valley. We focus on homelessness, that's still so significant here. Public education, 
uh, issues related to immigration and the reentry of those who are leaving prison and coming back into our city who, who need support. What I have asked our outreach to, uh, division to do is to look at those again prayerfully. It was 10 years ago we established those priorities. I've asked them to prayerfully ask the Lord whether those are still the main priorities that this local church should be reaching out to, and then we'll call you to give as well. You may know that in our global outreach, because we support so many missionaries here, but we focus on particular areas. We focus on sending people and sending the message of the gospel to unreached peoples, to people who have never had an opportunity to hear about Jesus or to see a real believer. And we especially focus on unreached people among Muslim people. And then, sometimes we're gonna be like the Macedonian church. We're gonna hear about those needs that happen because of the natural disasters that we could never have anticipated. And no matter where we are in our budget, we're gonna to come to you and say, we can't just let them hurt over there. So these are the things that motivate our setting the focus of where we're headed as the church. Again, all this is not to say that you should never give directly to other causes as God leads you, but I am saying that your giving should begin with your local church. Can I put something up here for you? I think if you withhold your financial giving from your local church family, you will also withhold your love, your prayers, and your service. And the church will hurt. And the cause of Christ will hurt. Our giving should be more a we than an I. Third thing, just briefly. That when we get this, that was kind of a downer part, but I think we need to hear it, right? <laughs> but let me tell you this too. This love-compelled giving flows into joy-filled generosity. I saw it among my father. I experienced there in that church and outside Mysore. So I want to give, put together now. I've, I've read this text to you before. So did Christine and John. I want to put together two parts of verses 2 through 5. I love them. Part one, in spite of being in a severe trial, the Macedonians were filled with overflowing joy in the midst of extreme poverty. And all that welled up into rich generosity. And then the second, verses three through five, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. Now, when I read those passages together, Two questions just jump into my mind. The first one is this, what brings about that kind of joy-filled generosity? And I know that the answer really is deep down what the title of this sermon series is. It's, it's uh, our lives are compelled by the, experiencing the love of Christ. When we've experienced that Jesus knows us and yet loves us anyway and died for us, Everything should change, even our financial giving. And, and to make that point in this text, I don't know if you noticed it as it was read to us, five times the same word happens in verses through one through nine. And it's that word grace. Grace. Our having anything is a grace. Our able to, ability to give is participating in grace, passing on grace that we have received. Uh, grace, you know what it means, don't you? Uh, maybe not. Uh, something that we get that we don't earn. 
Often we don't even deserve it. I was a Boy Scout when I grew up. I don't know if you have any boy or girl scouts who are here. Do you remember the merit badges? They didn't just hand them to me. I had to earn those crazy things, well, not crazy, wonderful things. I, I had to earn those. You, know, you had to complete all the requirements, right? You had to demonstrate that you had the knowledge. You had to go out and do a sort of, how many older people did you help across the street today? When you have enough, you get the, the merit badge. You don't get it if you don't merit it. That's not the way God's gift to us is. We just always oh, sitting and say, I don't deserve it, I didn't earn it, and yet God has bestowed it on me. And it seems to me that the more we really believe that, uh, the more joy we'll have. So, so need, maybe we just need more times in our church service just to stop and remember why the cross was necessary. That's the first question I wonder about. What, what brings about that kind of thing? I, I think when we really have experienced grace, we'll do what the Macedonians did and urgently plead. Uh, I, I see our minister, council chair. Jim Howe, help us to give more money. <laughs> Earnestly plead for this privilege, this grace of giving. Which brings me to the second question. And I wasn't going to ask this until I had my sermon prep time with my, the younger pastors and so forth. And they said, you've got you've to ask this one. Why is it that even genuine Jesus followers don't always have that kind of joy-filled generosity? Why, why is it that this thing that should bring us such great joy sometimes just doesn't bring us any joy at all? And I think that would be worthy of an entire sermon, but right now let me just simply say this. I think it's rooted in the fact that we still live by faith and not by sight. So everything that should be happening doesn't always happen perfectly in this fallen world, right? Uh, and in that, I think even our giving that should bring us great joy in this fallen world where so many times there's so many hardships and so forth, it really becomes hard to give and to have any joy in it. So I, I've jotted down a couple of things. I think that our walks with God, having times that feel stale, where God seems to be farther away, that happens in our walk with God. And it shouldn't surprise us. Doesn't that happen in our human relationships too? that sometimes they seem to grow stale. We shouldn't be surprised when we feel that way. Second thing I thought was similar to it is the trials of life sometimes just deplete our emotional resources. I'm telling you, when we're tired, haven't gotten enough sleep, we feel sick or just overwhelmed by the responsibilities of life, it's hard to have a whole lot of joy in giving to something. It's the way we are. And then, let's face it too, the third thing is we get angry or frustrated with our church family. I'm, I'm sure that hasn't happened here in our 125 years. <laughs> it, it's hard to give with joy to the priorities that your church has said if you're upset with your church. All these things happen. They were happening back when Paul wrote this letter. I mean, the Macedonians were going through these times of severe afflictions, and, and the Corinthians were upset with their founding pastor. <laughs> From them, I think that these principles that I've given you, I just pray that it will rekindle a way of life because sometimes when we don't feel it and we just do it because we have developed a way of living in which we regularly stop and say, Lord, you've given everything to me. How should I give? That even when we don't feel it, we give, and the joy might be restored. 
So what I'm asking you to do this week is to make a fresh commitment to the Lord, to the one who gave his life to you. First, offer yourself to the Lord. Number two, I ask you to remember that I think our Father and God's Word asks that our first fruit, our first place of giving, should be the local church that he has given to you and to me, even when the church is is imperfect. When it is, and it always is, but when it's just really imperfect, then learn as the Corinthian church did, that when you disagree, to speak into that lovingly and prayerfully, we'll be able to grow together, but do not neglect the grace of giving to and through your local church. And then my prayer is that you'll let the love of Jesus always flow into this joy-filled generosity. When you give, and then you see good things happening, such as the growth of our youth ministry, you know that that we just filled up, our young people are gone, we just filled up that that, uh, snow camp that's going on, and it is pouring the snow there. When you hear of our students coming to Jesus and you know you've given to make that sort of thing possible, I'll tell you, it rekindles your joy. Uh, When you give to the life of the church and we faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus and people come to Jesus and they're baptized, when that happens, it just makes your heart rejoice. Uh, When you give and we send missionaries who bring the gospel and then we hear of churches starting where there'd never been churches before and they come back and report to us and you know that your giving was a part of what brought that up, I'll tell you, your joy will be rekindled. So that's my call to us this morning, developing a way of life that we give ourselves first to the Lord and then have that affect our financial giving. I think it's the thing that keeps our financial giving faithful, our stewardship faithful, even when we have the emotions swing in this world and helps us to continue to be involved in what God is doing until he has finished what he is doing. And there are no more any imperfect churches. There are no more the kinds of famines that hit Jerusalem. There are no more those kinds of things that ravage our community when all things are made right, when Jesus returns again and makes them all new. Let's continue to be faithful in every part of our lives, including our giving. So I'm going to leave you as Paul left this church in verse 9. He said to them, you know, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Give like that. Give, Give like that. And I assure you, it will be, as you sang about Shepherd's class, to his glory, and it will also be to your joy. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, how much I pray I've been faithful to your word. And I pray that you would use this in our lives to help us more and more develop your heart for giving. So we simply give that to you. Take this, your word, and do whatever you will in our lives so that they will more and more, as our shepherd's class sang so beautifully for us, 
every part of them, including our giving, will reflect what you are like and what's important to you, bringing glory to your name because of Jesus and in his name we pray. Amen.